Our Father in heaven, we thank you for those words. And may they be true of us. May they be true for us. That we could come now to you. That by your grace and mercy that we could seek you. That we could act and knock and come into your presence because of your grace and mercy. So we pray, Lord, that you would meet us now. And as we open up your word, I pray that your word would be a feast for us. That it would be a place of rest for us. That it would be a place of delight and joy for us. And as we come to your word and to your words for us, Jesus, that we would be shown once again the true gospel and the good fruit that you are producing in us and through us by its power. So give us eyes to see. Give us ears to hear this morning and help us to seek you as you seek us out. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Would you please stand for a reading of God's word? We're working our way through the Sermon on the Mount. We have just a few weeks left in this amazing sermon that our Lord Jesus Christ has preached for us. This morning, I'll be reading from Matthew 7, beginning in verse 15. These are Jesus' words for us. Jesus said, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Here in these final verses of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus warned his disciples to beware, to beware of false prophets. And as we hear these words of Jesus this morning, I think if we're honest, our modern ears hear them and we think, does these words really mean anything to me? It seems strange to us, beware of false prophets, as if somehow there were false prophets everywhere lurking in our midst. Do these words still matter? This morning I want to show you why they matter and why Jesus' sober warning is just as relevant for us today as it was when he preached them 2,000 years ago. You see, you and I, we live in an increasingly secular age where truth is questioned. Not simply that truths are questioned, but even the concept of truth itself is called into question. And people will hurl insults and accusations and lies that say there's no such thing as absolute truth. Not only that, but the truths of the Bible and its promises and all that we believe as Christians is debated, questioned, 
So the question for us this morning is, how do we tell the difference between what is true and what is false in a time when there is so much confusion around us and so many messages being proclaimed to us from false prophets and false gospels? In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus tells us that the answer has something to do with fruit. And so this morning, I want you to see what it means to hold fast to the truth that God has given to us in his word and why good fruit only comes through abiding in him and him alone. The first thing I want you to know is I want you to know that we must be aware of the false prophets among us. I want you to look with me at the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, verse 15. You can find it in your bulletin or your own Bible or the Blue Pew Bible in front of us. If you don't have a Bible this morning, that's our gift to you. I want you to take it with you so that you would have God's word. Matthew 7, verse 15. Now, before we get into it, I want you to know where this, this verse and this passage finds itself in Jesus' sermon. This is towards the end. This is at Jesus' conclusion. This is his application to all that he has taught us and the Beatitudes and what it means to live in the kingdom of God. And so like any good preacher, Jesus has been teaching us about the kingdom, and now he gives us this sober warning in conclusion. After he invites us to ask and seek and knock, after he gives us the golden rule, after he calls us to enter through the narrow gate, he says, beware. In other words, pay attention. Don't be deceived because there are false prophets among us. And again, as we hear those words, they might seem strange to us, but I want you to know these words, this warning is nothing new to the Bible. In the Old Testament, the prophet Jeremiah warned the people of God against false prophets. This is what he said, Jeremiah 23, 16. Jeremiah said, do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, filling you with vain hopes. This is what false prophets do. They proclaim a message that gives false hope built on empty promises. But Jeremiah continues and he says, they speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. According to Jeremiah, these false prophets proclaim false hopes and they speak not for the Lord, but they're speaking out of their own minds with their own words. One of my favorite stories of the Old Testament tells the story of Elijah as the last and final prophet, the people of God, confronting the prophets of Baal. In 1 Kings 18, he asks the people of Israel this question. He says, how long will you go limping between two opinions? It's a question that I think we need to hear this morning. As people who live in a world where there's so much confusion and so many contrary messages other than the gospel of Jesus, we must ask ourselves, how long? we go on limping between two opinions. Either the gospel of Jesus Christ is true or it's not. As you go on to the New Testament, Jesus and the apostles also warned against false teachers and false prophets. The apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians warned against false apostles. 
deceitful workmen who he said would disguise themselves as apostles of Christ. They would look like Christ's representatives, but it's just an act. It's just a disguise. Peter warned against false prophets and false teachers who would secretly bring false heresies into the church. And later in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew 24, verse 24, Jesus warned against false Christs and false gospels, saying that there would be those who would present themselves as false Christs so to lead God's people astray. That is why it's at this point and at the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus says, beware. Beware. Beware of the false prophets among you. And so as we hear these words, we think they are strange. We think they might be archaic and antiquated, something that was meant for a a time long ago but no longer matters today. We need to hear Jesus' words. As we hear these words to beware of false prophets, we also might be tempted to think, well, maybe Jesus is just talking about extremists and cult leaders. Maybe as you hear the idea of a false prophet, you think of Jim Jones or Charles Manson. For me, as a kid who grew up in Waco, Texas, I can't help but not think of David Koresh. And I can still remember what it was like as an elementary student hearing about what had happened and then even seeing on the news this tragic thing where 70 people lost their lives because they followed the words of a false prophet. We hear about these stories, these extreme examples, and we think, well, I would never follow someone like that. And that might be true, but that's not who Jesus is talking about. Jesus is not simply talking about extremists and cult leaders but he's talking about the false prophets among us who are far more commonplace and harder to identify. Again, look with me, Matthew 7, verse 15. Jesus continues. He says, beware of false prophets. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. In other words, the false prophets that we need to be wary of look like sheep. They look like you. They look like me. They wear the part of being followers of Jesus, but inwardly, Jesus says, they're like ravenous wolves. The Apostle Paul in Acts 20 put it this way. He says, I know after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you. You notice what he says? Where do these false prophets, these fierce wolves come from? Not outside the church, Paul says, but within it. He says, these fierce wolves will come among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away disciples after them. False prophet is like a wolf in sheep's clothing, looking like a follower of Jesus and even saying things that might sort of sound like the truth. All the while, they're leading us astray. A true prophet in the Bible was one who had been called by God to speak truth in his name. 
A false prophet is someone who is speaking false things in the name of Jesus. Not only is that blasphemy, but it's incredibly dangerous and destructive to the church, her mission, and her witness. And you don't have to be a historian to know that this has happened time and time again throughout the history of the church. So many have come and gone proclaiming false things about God and doing horrific and heinous things in his name that it has led people astray. Maybe you know someone like that. Maybe you know someone who has actually rejected Christianity, not because of Jesus, but because of what people who claim to be Christians said about him. If that describes you this morning, here's my question. Have you rejected the true Jesus? Or have you rejected a Jesus that's been made in our image? Others of you have also given in to the lies of false prophets and you have no idea. And so this morning I want to ask you, are you following the real Jesus? Or are you following some caricature that has led you away from the truth? And so how do you know? How are we to live in this age of confusion? How are we supposed to tell the difference between what is true and what is false? If a false prophet is like a wolf dressed in sheep's clothing, how are we able to spot them? Jesus tells us the answer has to do with fruit. So the second thing I want you to know, I want you to know that we must recognize the false gospels that are being preached. False prophets preach false gospels, and Jesus says that we can recognize them by their fruits. Look with me, verse 16. Jesus says, you will recognize them by their fruits. And then he asks this question. He says, are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? What is he saying? Well, I want you to imagine you go to, to the uh, nursery later this afternoon and you decide it's time that you want to buy a fruit tree. And if you know anything about fruit trees, if you don't know a lot and know something, you, you know that they, they're just trees, Right? And until they actually bear fruit, you might have a hard time telling the difference between one fruit tree and another. And so you go and you buy what you think is an orange tree, and then finally you've been nursing this tree along after you've planted it, and you've watered it, and you've grown it, you've taken care of it, you're excited for the oranges that are going to come. And then finally, after months, you don't have oranges, you have lemons. What's Jesus' point? He's saying fruit doesn't lie. An orange tree makes oranges. A lemon tree makes lemons. If you want to be able to tell the difference between what is true and false, if you want to be able to, to be wary of and to spot the false prophets among us, you must look at the fruit of the false gospels that they preach. Because false gospels are powerless. And the message is, that false prophets proclaim will always lead to decay and disease and spiritual atrophy. Jesus says you can recognize them by their fruit. Look with me. He goes on, verse 17. Every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. 
A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. There's only two kinds of fruit. There's bad and there's good. And only the gospel bears good fruit. But how do we tell the difference? How do we tell the difference between what is good fruit and bad fruit? Well, bad fruit comes from a false gospel. A gospel that offers hope and salvation in something other than Christ alone. His death and resurrection for our salvation. These false gospels are so deceiving to us because often they come to us looking and sounding like the gospel. But there's something in them that's either added to the gospel or taken away. Something that says you are saved through Jesus plus or something that says we're going to take something away from what Jesus has done. The Apostle Paul described it this way in the book of Galatians. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Galatians chapter 1. I want you to hear what Paul says about false gospels. When Paul wrote Galatians, he was writing to a church that believed in Jesus. And they believed that we're saved in Jesus, but they didn't stop there. They believed in Jesus plus. We're saved through belief in Christ and what he's done for us and our good works. And this false gospel had begun to seep into their church. So much so that the apostle Paul said it's no longer the gospel. Listen to his words, Galatians 1 verse 6. Paul says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. It goes on in verse 9 and says, We have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one that you received, let him be accursed. For the Apostle Paul, this is incredibly serious. A false gospel had begun to seep into the Galatian church, and he's calling his church back to the one true salvation that is found in grace alone, through Christ alone, by his finished work on the cross alone. And he's saying, you've been deceived. Brothers and sisters, we need to hear these words again. I wonder how many of us have been deceived. Because each and every day, we are inundated with false gospels being proclaimed to us by false prophets. These false prophets are everywhere. So often it's hard to really know what they really look like and just how contrary to the true gospel their messages really are. What do these false gospels look like today? Well, these false gospels basically look like four different categories. There's probably more than that, but let me just simply give you four. The first is this, it's the prosperity gospel. Perhaps one of the most common false gospels proclaimed all over the world. It's a false gospel that says, if you work hard enough and you are a good person, then God will bless you with health, 
wealth, and prosperity. It's a popular false gospel because it's the message we all want to hear. <laughs> You're telling me I can just try to be good and work hard and God has to bless me? The problem is it's not true. <laughs> not only is it not true experientially, it's not what the Bible says. Because as we saw last week, Jesus calls us to walk down the hard path, not the easy one. Prosperity gospel invites us to walk down the easy path, a path away from the cross, away from suffering. But the true gospel says that Jesus has actually entered into our suffering. We are not promised health, wealth, and prosperity. We are promised a savior who knows our every sin, our every temptation, and our every need and paid for it on the cross. And before you say, well, I would never believe the prosperity gospel. I don't need to be worried about that one. I want you to answer this question. Have you ever asked, why do bad things happen to good people? That question comes from prosperity theology, where we assume that if we are good, good things should happen. But if you read the Bible, you see that this life, this side of heaven, that's filled with suffering and hardship. And yet that is exactly where Jesus has entered into our stories. That's the prosperity gospel. There's another gospel in America that's kind of like it. That's what sociologists have called moralistic therapeutic deism. It's a gospel that says that God just wants us to be moral. He wants us to be good people, to be kind to us, and that's really what the human life under God is about. It's a gospel that says that God just wants us to be happy. It's therapeutic. He just wants you to be happy and pleased with yourself. It's a false gospel that's deistic, and that it says that God is actually not very interested in your life and what you do every day. He's really only there when you need him. You can go to them and get what you need and then put them back on the shelf. <laughs> but that's not the true gospel. The true gospel says that actually God is so interested with every single part of our lives that he sent his son to be incarnate in our flesh to know what it truly means, to understand what it's like for us as human beings and to die for us in our place on the cross. A third kind of false gospel is a gospel of legalism, a gospel of perfectionism, a false gospel that says, believe in Jesus and be perfect. Yes, we are saved and justified by grace, but now we are sanctified by works, and you better earn it. You better live a life that is deserving and sinless. Otherwise, how could you truly be one of Christ's disciples? And the last kind is the exact opposite. It's a gospel of antinomianism, a gospel of cheap grace, a gospel that says you don't need to be holy, a gospel that says don't worry, we all sin, and Jesus died, and you're forgiven anyways, so don't even try. About cheap grace, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he said that it is grace without the cross, 
And this is what I want you to see about every false gospel. Everyone promises hope and offers salvation by some way other than the cross of Christ alone. What false gospel are you most prone to listen to? What false gospel has seeped into your soul and distorted your understanding of the true gospel? Because you see, this is what false gospels do. They mix in and they cause us to see a false picture of God and a false understanding of the cross. And these false gospels come to us from false prophets to lead us astray. And so how do we know the difference? How can we walk through this life knowing the difference between true and false, good fruit and bad fruit? How can we recognize the false gospels in our own hearts and turn back to the joy of salvation that is found in Jesus? Jesus says it has to do with fruit. And at the end of this section of the Sermon on the Mount, once again, he says this in verse 20. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. So the third and final thing I want you to know. I want you to know that we must abide in the truth of God's word. How do we tell the difference between the fruit of a false gospel and the true fruit of the gospel of Jesus? We must know that good fruit only comes when we abide in Jesus alone. The Gospel of John, Jesus tells us what this looks like. John 15, verse 5, Jesus said, I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. This verse means so much to us as a church that we actually had it engraved on a piece of stone and put it in the courtyard. Did you know that? Because here we believe that we can do nothing apart from Jesus. False gospels lead us away from that. And they feed us this lie that says we can do it on our own. But Jesus says, no, good fruit only comes when you abide in me. So what does it mean to abide in Jesus? Well, earlier in the Gospel of John, Jesus tells us. John 8, verse 31. Jesus said, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. How do we abide in Jesus and so bear good fruit, true gospel fruit, Did you hear it? Jesus said, abide in my word. And if you abide in my word, you will truly be one of my disciples. And if you're truly one of my disciples, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So in this world of confusion with so many conflicting messages being preached to us, how do we know the difference? We can only know the difference if we know the truth. Let me put it to you this way. I want you to imagine that later this afternoon you get an email from me. It's one of those emails that says, greetings. Greetings. Pastor Paul is here, and I am in real trouble. 
I'm in the middle of sub-Saharan Africa, and I've run out of money. And I need you to send me money through this link if you'll only give me your bank account and your social security number. Now, other than that, you've had enough of those to know that that's laughable. I want you to go there for just a second. You would probably listen to the words of the email and say, that, that doesn't really sound like Paul. One, I don't think he says greetings. It's kind of strange. And I don't think he'd be asking me for money. You might even, if you thought that maybe it sounded enough like Paul, you might be tempted to say, well, you know what? I want you to prove that you are who you say you are. Would you please send me a picture of yourself? And you get a picture of my old picture from the internet, which does not have a beard like this. It's a little bit more clean shaven. That's old Paul. You think, well, that's... It's not what he looks like now. Not the least of which is you're here on Sunday morning, and it's impossible for me to get to sub-Saharan Africa in a day. What's the point? Well, the more that you know me and been around me and have heard me speak and talk, you can easily tell the difference between me and an imposter. How are we to tell the difference between the false gospels that are being preached to us? only when we deeply know the real thing. And Jesus is calling us as his people to abide in his word. The most famous verse about the Bible in the Bible is probably 2 Timothy 3.16. As we end, I want you to turn there, and you can find it actually in your bulletin. We used it as our profession of faith this morning. 2 Timothy 3.16 says this, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That's where Paul is telling us the importance of the Bible, the importance of scripture, the importance of God's word, that all of it's been breathed out by God. And in other words, it's a grace for us. It's a gift that's been given to us to teach us and train us and grow us. And if you've grown up in the Bible Belt, you've probably heard this verse before, but do you know where it comes from and why Paul wrote it? Context matters. Just a few verses before this one in 2 Timothy 3, verse 1, this is what Paul said. Understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Now listen to this, having appearance of godliness, but denying its power. In other words, in the last days, there will be people proclaiming false gospels. They will have the appearance of godliness, but they will deny his power. They will be lovers of self and lovers of money. They will be abusive and arrogant and prideful and slanderous. And so then Paul writes, that's why it matters that all scripture is God-breathed. What I want you to see this morning is this is why the Bible matters and why it's such a gift to us. It's why we need it. We need the Bible because we need to know deeply the one true story of redemption. 
We need the Bible because we need to know deeply the one true message of salvation. We need the Bible because we need to know deeply the true gospel. And we need to know it so intimately that we can spot a false gospel immediately and be able to call a false prophet and expose them for what they really are. We cannot do that unless we abide in the word. And so what message are you listening to the most? Do you find yourself tempted to listen to all the messages that we are completely flooded with? This afternoon, as you go back home, what will you turn on on the television? As you get out your phone and listen to a podcast, what will you listen to? As you get on the internet and read some article, what will you read? Because over and over again, my guess is there are false messages of false gospels working in and through every single one of those channels. Are you abiding in God's word more than those things? So to train yourself to not only spot the false gospels among us, but to see God's word for what it really is. It's a love letter, a place of rest, an invitation to come and feast. It's a story that tells the one true story of redemption and a world that proclaims that you are not loved and you don't matter unless you make enough or look the right way. And a world that says you can make yourself better and save yourself. A world that says that this is all that there is and so just live it up now because there's nothing to come. To that world, this story says you are loved that we have a creator who made all things and he has made you and me in his image. That though actually we are far more broken and far more sinful than we could ever know, God loved us so much that he sent his only son to know our pain and our sorrow and to bear our sin on the cross. He died in our place on the third day he rose again and one day he is going to come back to make all things new. Do you know that story? More than that, do you live every day out of that story? Do you rest in that story? And are you so deeply and intimately acquainted with that story that there is no false message that could ever compare? Jesus says you will recognize them by their fruits. We can only do that when we see the goodness and the grace of the fruit that he has given us in his word and the salvation that he has given us in his son. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we pray that you would make us people who love your word. It's so easy to see it as something we have to do or something we fail to do. Oh, but Lord, as we come back to it, maybe even today, help us to see that you welcome us back to yourself and that as we abide in your word, 
Help us to live out of it and to taste and see that you are who you say you are and that your gospel and your story of salvation is the only one that bears good and true fruit in our hearts. We ask this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand. Let's sing together.